Welcome, everyone, to the Bold Speak Podcast. I'm Anthony Creedon. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast as we continue our study of No Other Gospel, a study of the book of Galatians. On this episode, we're going to explore Galatians a little bit further as we get into part two of lesson two. Now, if you're sitting at home or in the car thinking, what in the world is part two of lesson two? Uh, I'm referring to the study guide that's available to you for purchase on our website, www.theboldspeak.com. For just $10, you can get the complete study guide for the book of Galatians that will span about 16 episodes and cover the entire letter. Uh, The study guide offers some additional notes as well as a guide through the questions so you can follow along and take notes as we go, a task that I will admit is especially important when studying Paul. I say that because Paul's mind is a complicated beast. He's just one of those people that's maybe uh, too smart for his own good, and as a result, his writings can seem to be going everywhere and nowhere at once. So by taking notes, we can track a little bit better with him as he's addressing each issue, and as well as kind of recalling some things that he said earlier, because it all kind of fits together. So to help make sense of all this, taking notes can be quite helpful. Now, for those of you who already have the study guide in front of you, you might also be a little bit confused as to why we're taking an entire podcast for only six verses. Great question. In the past, we've covered like three times that much, if not more. And that was because the content was digestible in larger chunks. But here we need to slow down a bit. The reason is because Paul is entering into his main argument. This is going to be the issue that he's addressing and will be the focus of most of the rest of the entire letter. So in order to set this up well, we have to unpack all that's in these six verses, which I will let you know is a lot. So we're going to slow the pace a little bit so we can guarantee a solid start because starting well will help us finish well. So with that, let's get into Galatians chapter 2 verses 15 to 21. Again, uh, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Alright, before we get too much further into this, I think it's important to back up a little bit and review where we've been so we have a context for this. Paul began the letter by addressing the first and and kind of major argument that, that Paul is dealing with that's coming from the Judaizers. 
And that was specifically the, the authenticity of Paul's message and his validity as an apostle. And he established that by kind of going back in his history and addressing some things and showing that his message was, in fact, uh, Jesus's message and not just him being the, the party man uh, for the apostles in Jerusalem. And by establishing that, he also sets you up for this kind of primary argument that he's entering into here. So let's go back a little bit and reflect on, I think, just four major points that Paul has made so far. First, Paul's established that the requirement to follow the law and kind of following the law to save us is another gospel entirely. In fact, it's no gospel at all because it's contradictory to everything Jesus taught Paul and the disciples slash apostles. Second, Paul establishes that the gospel message that he preached was perfectly in line with the Jerusalem leadership, namely Peter, James, and John. Third, Paul established that any act of imposing or teaching that Gentiles must live as Jews is a violation of the gospel message itself, and no one, not even Peter, is allowed to violate the unity we've been given in the true gospel. Fourth and finally, Paul asserts that he himself, a Jew, as well as the Jerusalem leadership, all recognize that salvation comes from faith in Jesus Christ and not from works. Now, as verse 14 is ending, Paul asks a pretty important question that leads into verse 15 and what he's going to say from here on out. And this is the question he asks. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? The question he's bringing up here is in regard to the nature of what it means to be Jewish. Is being Jewish about following the law for salvation? Now, the argument that he makes here in verses 15 and 16 are Paul's answer to that question. So, if you look in your study guide here, question 8 asks this. According to Paul in verses 15 and 16, how are Jews saved? The answer that Paul was getting to in verse 14 and now gives us here is quite simple. Faith in Jesus Christ. Just the same as everyone else. The reason he makes the comparison between Jews and Gentile, quote, sinners, is because he's reflecting an idea of the Judaizers, and many like them, who believe that they are without sin because they have the law and follow it. They believe that themselves to, to, to be better than those without the law. But Paul's point here is very clear. Jews are saved by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Just like everyone else. And that includes all of those in the Old Testament. See, where Paul's going to enter into is he's going to enter into a dialogue about Abraham. In other words, what he's going to say is, if you're tying all of this to circumcision, let's take a look at the life and faith of Abraham, the one who began circumcision. If his salvation is based on works, then you guys have an argument. Fair enough. I will acquiesce my point and I will follow your ideas about this gospel driven by completion of the law. But... And this is a big but. If we discover in our analysis of Abraham's life that salvation for Abraham came by faith, then that means we have a consistent message from Old Testament to New Testament that salvation has always been by faith. And so Paul is kind of setting this up 
by initially addressing the question of what it means to be a Jew and saying that salvation for the Jews, as well as the Gentiles, has never been about works. If it was, if it was about the law, no one would be justified. Now, all of that being said, it's in verse 17 that things can get a little weird. And a lot of times these kinds of questions that Paul is asking can be very confusing because there's one thing we just have to, we keep in our heads to remember and help us understand where Paul is going. And that's this. Remember that the book of Galatians is actually the letter to the Galatians, which means that in this letter, Paul is addressing already established ideas and things that the Galatian church understands. And so he's addressing them kind of head on and in a way that that would make sense to them. But since we aren't the Galatians and we don't have any direct contact with the Judaizers, some of the stuff can be a little bit confusing. So let's quickly kind of break down what he's asking in verse 17. The question is this, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. All right, so it appears here that Paul is addressing a very specific accusation from the Judaizers, and it goes like this. If you remove the law from the plan of salvation, then is that just promoting lawlessness? In other words, if you pull the law out, then what's to keep the people from just abandoning the law altogether? And, and this it appears is what they're saying that Paul is teaching. That Paul's message of the gospel, by eliminating the law, and specifically eliminating circumcision, means that the law doesn't matter. We don't have to care about it. But that's not what Paul is saying at all. In fact, Paul is saying the law is very important. And you're going to hear him say that in the Galatian letter. The law is very important, just not to save us. And that's a very, very important distinction. And so the question that Paul's asking in verse 17, if we were to kind of summarize it or break it down, might be this. But if in our idea and plan of salvation that doesn't include the law, but only includes faith in Jesus Christ, we were found to be sinners, that is transgressors of the law, those who break the law, then is Christ promoting a message of gospel and salvation where the law doesn't matter? And the idea is certainly not. Paul wants to make it very clear. Jesus is not promoting an abandonment of the law. He himself is the fulfillment of the law and calls us to fulfill the law. It's just that the law doesn't save us. And that's the important point that he's trying to make. And this is what leads us into our next question and what leads us to verse 18. The question is this. With this understanding of verse 17... What does Paul mean in verse 18? Here's what he says in verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Here's what's happening. If Paul's message of salvation, apart from works, turns Jesus into a promoter of sin or a promoter of lawlessness, then Paul's theology has failed him and, and basically turned him into a liar. To believe that Jesus is a promoter of sin would break down everything Paul just said and contradict the core of what he and the Jerusalem leadership teach and confess. So how are we to understand the role of the law in the plan of salvation? And that's what Paul is explaining next. 
very specifically here, Paul is dressing the law from what we would consider its second function, the, the mirror. The law functions as a mirror to show us our sin and the reality of the state that we're in. So in that context, what Paul is saying is the law convicts us and shows us the desperate situation that we're in. And so, as a result, we let the law kill us. We accept the punishment that we deserve from the law, and because we've not followed it, we therefore die to it. But see, God doesn't leave us there. This is where God does his best work. In our recognition of our sinful nature, in a recognition of our depravity, in our complete inability to make our way back to God, we see that the work of God in salvation through Jesus Christ, apart from the law, is the most purest of gifts. When we receive and understand how we deserve to receive the punishment of death and the accusations of the law, that's where Jesus steps in and takes that punishment for us. And in doing so, he gives to us his victory in overcoming death and being raised to life. So now the life that we live, it's not our life. It's not something that we have earned, but it's Christ's life that he's given to us as a gift by faith. Paul is trying to explain to us the purity of the gospel outside of the law. If it was by the law, it would be something that we would earn. It would be a wage, something Paul is going to address a little bit later. But instead, it's a gift, nothing we have to earn or work toward in any way, shape, or form. Now we get to Paul's bold statement that gets to the heart of what he's addressing in this letter. If you look at question 10, it asks this, what does Paul mean when he says, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose? Here it is. Paul is basically explaining to us why a gospel that includes the law is a different gospel altogether. And he explains it this way. If we add the law to the gospel, if we say that doing good works and abiding and obeying these certain rules are what's earning our salvation, then why in the world do we need Jesus? What is Jesus offering to us that we can't do on our own? If it's simply by following the law and obeying these certain rules and principles, then why the sacrifice? Why go through any of it? But the very fact that Jesus Christ came, lived, died, and rose again shows that only God could accomplish something that we are completely incapable of doing. So adding the law to the gospel completely and fundamentally changes the gospel itself. When we say that righteousness comes through the law, we're saying that we can gain life by ourselves without Christ at all, and we can become this kind of perfect follower of the law without God's help. Salvation by works completely nullifies Jesus' death. And if we can do it, then Jesus has no point or purpose. Why not just live a long life of teaching us how to be good? But we can't achieve salvation by works. We need Jesus' crucifixion to pay our penalty and grant us life. And that is the truth that Paul will spend the rest of this letter explaining. We must, before we go any further, confess 
firmly and boldly this truth. Jesus and his work of salvation is our only hope. It's all we have. It's all Adam had. It's all Eve had. It's all Abraham had. It's all Isaac had. It's all Jacob had. It's all David had. It's all Isaiah had and Ezekiel. And the list goes on and on. It is all we have. Now, some of you out there are listening to this and, and there's something you've been struggling with. There's a, there's a reality of sin that you've been facing. There's difficulties. And you sit there and you struggle with it because sometimes it's really easy to become myopic and, and think that, you know, I have to just pull myself up by my bootstraps or I have to figure out a plan or I have to do X, Y, and Z. And, and what we forget and what we don't realize is that we can move forward and we can do things. But ultimately, there is no hope of recovery outside of Christ. He's all we have. And so when we're staring there at our sin and we're we're thinking to ourselves, I, I, I have nothing. I'm, I'm broken. It's not a bad place to be. Because when you're standing on the edge and you realize that you have nothing to offer, that there is no way you can find your way out, that's when Christ reaches out a hand and says, without me, you're right. But I'll give you everything. Let me be your hope. Let me be the solid foundation that you stand on. Let me offer you something that you can't gain yourself. Not because of any way that you've earned it, not because I am now all of a sudden pleased with you and you've gotten yourself right with me, but simply because I want to. I love you because I want to, and it's that simple. That is the gospel that Paul is trying so desperately to preserve, and a gospel that is being threatened by the Judaizers. Now, in the next episode of the podcast, we're going to look a little bit closer at the life of Abraham, and we're going to explore what it is that Abraham thought his faith was. Because again, if, if Paul can show that Abraham's life and Abraham's faith was a matter of simple trust in the promise in God and not a matter of works, then the whole idea behind the Judaizers gospel becomes completely null and void. And so in chapter 3, we're going to explore that deeper as Paul takes us back to the life of Abraham. So I really hope that you join us for that, that next part there. So we'll begin Lesson 3 next time. Again, if you don't have the study guide, please make sure you pick it up. Uh, again, only $10 on our website, www.theboldspeak.com. Uh, and you can get that and follow along with us. Also, please make sure that you uh, subscribe here to the podcast on SoundCloud. Uh, we're getting uh, iTunes up quickly, uh, trying as best we can. It's got to go through an approval process, so we're looking toward that. Uh, but here on SoundCloud, you can subscribe, get the latest updates of when we release new ones. Uh, also, make sure to follow us on all social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the uh, the URL uh, forward slash the bold speak. So that's Facebook.com forward slash the bold speak, Twitter.com forward slash the bold speak, and so on. Uh, make sure you follow us, like us on there, share us with your friends, encourage some other people to join us in the study of the book of Galatians, a very, very powerful testament of the gospel and what it means. 
Now, if you're listening to this podcast on November 7th, uh, you may have noticed a few things on social media. People may have a few opinions or ideas on a day that I like to lovingly call Doomsday. Uh, That is the day after Election Day. Uh, We've just finished midterm elections, and just like uh, the primary elections for president that happened two years ago, it appears that the world has collectively lost its mind, uh, believing that the results of these elections are going to lead to the end of everything we know. And it's this idea that I want to address on this edition of The Inner Out. All right, young man, in or out? Everyone, everyone, did you hear? The elections didn't go exactly the way I wanted them to. These laws got passed and and I voted against them. All is lost! Actually, that that might be a bit of an exaggeration. Well, okay, it's, it's a lot bit of an exaggeration. It seems like every election, people get upset by the results one way or another. Which, when you think about it, makes perfect sense. If everyone agreed, we wouldn't need an election. And for those of you that believe that our country is headed in some wrong directions, you're right. Again, in a sinful world, we should expect that. But to believe that the fate of the known universe rests on the results of one election is a little overdramatic. And so when it comes to social media on the days after elections, I'm sorry, I'm out. Look, I get it. We have a lot of problems and things seem to be getting worse by the day. But in a sinful world, it will always be that way. Until then, take a deep breath, put down the cell phone, and squash the urge to pretend like a Democratic Senate or Republican House means Jesus doesn't care anymore. He does. And if the law you wanted to go your way didn't, then we take a deep breath Pray for God to continue to work in spite of the direction of that law, and let's get back to what we should have been doing all along, living out the gospel of Jesus Christ, and through him, assuring that all is, in fact, not lost. When we overreact to things like this, we tend to forget who's still in charge. The sun still rose, and if tomorrow it doesn't, because Jesus has returned, well, then that's fine by me. So, social media feeds... For the next few days, I'm out. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bold Speak Podcast. Again, very, very glad you could join us. Make sure you connect with us regularly. Subscribe to the podcast. Make comments down below. Interact with us uh, so we can be uh, ongoingly engaged with you, our community. Uh, Until next time, hope you have a great one. And as always, I'm Anthony Creeden, and that is the Bold Speak.